Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, just a heads up before I get to the interview here today, um, releasing the podcast here, recorded a couple this summer, going to put them all out before the season starts, so... Hopefully you can listen to some great coaches and steal a few ideas. Um, just wanted to reiterate, the IBCA has updated its website if you haven't looked at it. Uh, now is the time to send in membership uh, so then you can join for the clinic and stuff this year. Go to the website. It looks great. Um, I think we've made some big improvements. Um, and reach out if you have any questions. Okay, uh, we'll move on to the interview. Coaches, welcome to the podcast. Excited today to have Coach Dick Jungers, currently the head girls coach at New Elfonda. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Oh, happy to do it. Love all the great things uh, IBCA is doing. Hey, we appreciate that. Uh, start you off with sort of a warm-up question. Um, ask this one a lot, like asking this one. Uh, who are your top, your favorite three basketball players of all time with the caveat my mom can't know who they are. So someone who's just been your, for whatever reason, you just like watching them play. You know, since you're a young guy, I'm going to guess your mom's kind of young too. So I'm going to go old school. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, uh, Wilt Chamberlain uh, was uh, one I always appreciate seeing footage, footage of him. Uh, Dr. J, um, late 70s, the ABA, and when he kind of came into the NBA. And I think number three, uh, I'm going to have to go with probably Larry Bird. I, your mom probably does know Larry Bird, but it's kind of hard to pass up some of the things he did. Yeah, I, I won't go into my mom's age or whether or not she specifically knows some of those players, but I like that. That's pretty old school. Chamberlain's the first – that's the first time I've heard that one for sure. So um, that's pretty good. Um, Coach, jump into your background. Uh, if you could just tell me, you know, what your current position is, how long you've been there. Um. I'm a preschool through eighth grade principal at Newell Fonda, and um, I've been in this role for probably about 11 years. Prior to that, I was a history teacher, um, started out uh, two years in Mercer, Missouri, um, then came to Newell Fonda, took a middle school social studies position, um, and I taught high school social studies before I became the, the principal. And how long, Coach, have you been um, the head of the girls program there? Uh, I just, we just completed our 19th season. So next year would be 20 years. Oh, excellent. Um, let's go kind of back a little bit farther. Um, what got you into teaching? What got you into coaching? Uh, maybe going back all the way to your high school days of, uh, what got you started down this path? You know, I think, uh, first and foremost, uh, when I was in high school, I could only play one sport because I grew up on a small farm and uh, we were expected to work on the, the fall and spring. So we were able to play basketball, um, had a great passion for that, um, went on to college, never played, but we played, we picked, we played pickup games almost every day um, throughout the school year. And um, while I was in college, I was going to be a business and psychology major and changed my junior year to education. And so uh, with that, I was close to uh, history. 
So I went down that road. And then when I took my first teaching job in Mercer, Missouri, I could only take the job if I would also agree to be the head boys and girls softball coach. <laughs> so I had, uh, you know, my only background in softball was I played a little bit of slow pitch for a couple of years. I never played baseball. So I bought a lot of books that summer, read a lot about it. And, uh, and I actually, when I came to Newell Fonda, I, I coached softball for 13 years too. So, um, so there's that. And then, uh, I became the JV basketball coach at North Mercer on the boys' side and then coached junior high and high school boys and girls tracks. That first year, first two years I was there, I was busy. I didn't have much free time for other things, but, but that was a, a great experience and it helped uh, mold me into trying to figure out how to put things together and be efficient with time. And, um, you know, as you reflect in a conversation like this, you really start piecing together how your path got you to where you are right now. And that's, that's exactly uh, uh, what happened there. Awesome coach. So I'll start here with this question then kind of about your background. So coach softball, co are you still coaching track? Maybe tell me what you're still coaching. I'm sorry. I don't know that off the top of my head. Nope. Uh, right now, the only thing I, I coach uh, is head girls basketball. Okay. I was head girls basketball and softball for a while, but then when my kids got to the age where, um, I need to be with them with some of the events. So I coach, you know, youth soccer, youth baseball, youth, and that's what you do as a young parent. So um, that's what I did. Gave up the softball and kept the basketball. So, Coach, obviously you guys have had great success in basketball. The program has, and, and I know you've been successful in softball and many of the other sports as well. You as a coach, what do you feel, maybe there's nothing, but what do you feel like are the things you take that, um, okay, yes, you're coaching basketball now, but things you've taken from your experience in softball or any of your other coaching positions that have really stuck with you as, yeah, this is something that no matter what I'm doing is really important. You know, I think uh, having a strong understanding of the fundamentals that it takes for success is very important. Um, creating a network of people that you can go to to help build your capacity. Um, no, no one coach has all the answers. Um, I still network with a, a group of coaches and ask a lot of questions. They ask me questions and, uh, and I appreciate those conversations. And, and I think it's seeing where kids are at, taking ownership of that to where they need to go um, is the biggest thing. I mean, you know, if your kids are coming into your program and they're not developed to the way you want, um, it's not like you can skip three chapters in the middle of the book. You got to catch them where they're at and get them to where they need to go. And I think um, all this, all the sports I've coached over the years, you figure that out in a hurry if you want them to compete at a high level. Absolutely. Um, speaking to that network of coaches, even going back to from high school, getting into coaching, who are some of your coaching influences? I think most of us who've been in it for a little while have some of those people who um, have helped get us started or, or even support us to this day. You know, uh, some big ones that for me, uh, Paul Luce, he coached head boys basketball at Newell Fonda for many years, retired a few years ago. And uh, he's now the assistant men's coach at University University in Storm Lake, Iowa. He's someone that, um, you know, we'll uh, grab a glass of lemonade and talk, uh, talk basketball for a long time. And uh, it's always a fun conversation. So he's one of the, the most, you know, the ones I really rely on. My assistant coaches, um, we have a lot of great conversations about basketball. Kevin Larson, uh, has been with me for over 10 years and uh, Courtney Darrell, she's been with me for about seven years now. And uh, we have a lot of conversations about basketball. So uh, we have a lot of capacity in that. And then, um, you know, then there's some other ones that, you know, 
go into some college conversations and uh you know so there's just a lot of great people out there and i've, I've never met a basketball coach that isn't willing to talk to you about um basketball absolutely well appreciate that getting to know you a little bit there coach and getting to know your background um we'll kind of switch pace here and just jump into uh your program and your team so i've been fortunate to be able to watch you guys at the state tournament you know the last few years um, but if somebody hasn't seen uh, the new Alfonda girls play, uh, how would you describe your style of play to someone who hasn't watched you? You know, uh, the style of play fits my personality. When, when I was a player, I love the up-tempo. I love, of course, I was a quick guard, um, and we like to play fast, shoot a lot of threes, and play tenacious defense, and that's the style that we play. Uh, offensively, we like to get the ball up and down the floor quickly. Um, you know, we, we can play slow down basketball, but we prefer to play fast. Um, and then defensively, just just being there on you all game long. And, uh, you know, if you ever had a chance to see us play and when, you know, one thing we've had the last few years is state track speed. Um, you know, we, we, we have a great depth with state track caliber speed and um, and that that even makes it that much more fun. It's just a really fast paced style. So your depth coach is definitely, I think, for those who've watched you play is probably one of the things that sticks out. One thing I enjoyed trying to get ready for this podcast, I jumped on varsity bound and I looked for like individual for new Alfonda and then looked kind of just at the top five and there, there maybe wasn't a real presence, but as soon as I switch over to team, you're all over the place for almost every major statistical category. Um, so what maybe describe how you use your depth and uh, what that would look like again, to somebody who hasn't maybe seen you play as much, you know, uh, I think uh, some interesting things start to come out. Um, our kids really don't care who score. Yeah. Um, they'll make the extra pass. So they'll, they'll not take mediocre shots to, to try to get better shots. Um, and that's collectively as a team. And um, it takes a, it takes a lot of hard work to get your program to that point. And I just think it's tougher to guard. Now, do we have standout players that can play at the next level? We do. Um, and they do step up and make plays when we need them to make plays. Um, but we've created a style where um, you earn your minutes on the floor. We're going to expect you to be able to do certain things for us, shooting, getting the ball to the rim, um, playing tenacious defense. All those things are things that we build in. So um, we've been blessed with deep athletes. Uh, our community just loves their basketball. And um, I just know like next week I've got basketball camp and there's uh, there's quite a few kids signed up for it. So uh uh, it, it's just a, it's a great community thing for Newell Fonda. So, um, you know, I'm sure you got, I know you got great girls, great kids um, who are, are willing to sacrifice some of those things, you know, for the team, but maybe describe, I, I'm sure there's some coaching things that you've done over the years that you feel like have been beneficial to that as well. Could you speak to any of things that you feel like you've done, you know, in the program over the years that's helped get to that point where, you can play so many um, individuals and you have individuals who just are not going to worry at all about the individual part of basketball. You know, we do. Uh, our, our practices are very competitive and, you know, and like I alluded to before, taking ownership of where kids are at. Um, so if they're not, we're, you know, we talk about the varsity caliber player to play at the varsity level, what that looks like. Um, if kids aren't there, there's only one person that's responsible for getting them there. And that's, that's me, the head coach. And uh, um, so we design our practices accordingly. And, uh, 
you know, we, we, our practices are fast paced and we really emphasize the footwork, the fundamentals, and then um, the knowledge of the game aspects. And um, I think that's one area that our kids, when you, when, when our kids graduate from Newell Fonda, uh, they can pretty much play in any program, um, you know, maybe minus the, the vocabulary that different programs yep. use, but um, they understand the proper footwork on how to set good screens or how to use a screen or how to shed a defender. And, um, you know, those are just some, some examples, but it's really focusing on where kids are at and getting to where they need to go. And, you know, and I think another thing is building their confidence. You know, we do a lot of footwork around the, the rim drills uh, to where kids start building, oh, I can make a lot of shots in a hurry there. And we just keep gradually expanding them out. And uh, as they get further and further out, they just build the confidence that way. So when it's time for us to call their number, we're going to expect them to hit shots in the game. Absolutely. Um, Coach, have you always played this style, this up-tempo, this pressing, this uh, much depth, or was there something that over the course of time has led to you ch to changing to that? You know, I've had years where maybe um, we weren't, we didn't have as great a team speed. So then uh, I, I would tweak some things. I mean, I, I still like to press, um, you know, in some teams, it was really challenging to press because of the speed and the, the guard ability that they have on the floor. Um, so we were always working to attain that. And uh, um, right now we just have a, a lot of good basketball players coming through. And um, this is a style that really fits the mold of kids we have. You know, we don't have five, six, three girls. You know, we have a lot of kids that are between five, eight, five, ten that can run and um, play fast. And so it's just a style that currently fits us. Now to your question, I've had some years where I did not, I was not able to play that style as much. So we always tweak our program, um, our offense and defenses based on the personnel that earns the playing time. Um, it doesn't do any good to have a system that doesn't fit your personnel. And uh, as coaches, we, we're the ones that have to figure those things out. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into your teams of at least the last couple of years, teams that are getting out and pressing, et cetera. Um, what would you say the goals, um, are of your defense and then how do you communicate that to your team you know uh i know when you start talking pressing a lot of people you know really try to emphasize the steals and the things that uh go with that part of it, the turnovers and you know really we focus on disrupting if we can make teams uncomfortable the turnovers the steals those will come so um we'll, we'll tweak our presses you know some teams are built for one really good ball handler other teams have two or three ball handlers so we develop schemes where we feel like we can disrupt them. And it, and it might be a great press break that a team runs. And um, when we're watching our film sessions, we're just kind of like, gosh, what can we do to just make it more challenging for them? And, um, and so over the years, um, we found some good um, press schemes that really work for us. And then um, the counters, what, what teams are going to do to adjust to what we're doing or what adjustments we have to make based on how they counter what we're doing. And um, that's where I think the coaching fund really, it gets to be a really fun. And, and like for our kids, um, they have to read it. Um, so we do a lot of read and react drills. We talk about what, what are you truly seeing here? How can we rotate a certain way to create problems? And uh, that, that's the teaching part that probably is the most challenging is getting everybody to read the same thing. So what I'm reading as a coach might not be what two players are reading on the floor. And it's my job to make sure that um, everybody's reading the same thing so we can rotate appropriately. All right, Coach, I'll probably come back to that idea. But first, to give the listener an idea maybe so they can have a visualization, 
how would you would you describe your press more as a man press zone press are you mixing that stuff in there um maybe speak to that a little bit just kind of a general description of your full court defense you know our our full court defense um it's it's a lot of man but we do throw zone concepts in it um you know little things like a lot of coaches run a, a good two two one press um, the rotations in our man-to-man press are actually about the same, about 90% the same as the rotations of a 2-2-1. Huh. Um, but you do have to rotate and switch out of that. And so getting kids to understand that. And then the other thing is, um, I know when when we first started pressing, we put kids in spot and that was your spot. Well, then if you get into foul trouble, you'd have to mix and match. So it's getting all five kids to understand the five spots on the floor so that they know how to do that. So um, so yeah, we do, we do throw zone press in it, but we do a lot of man to man too. And we always look at it as what's going to give us the best chances of winning that night. And so, you know, we might play on Tuesday night, it might be a more of a zone, like a one, two, two look. And the next night it might be all man to man. So it just really depends on what the other team does. In the man to man concept, is it a run and jump idea? Is it a run and trap? Are there areas? Are there keys? Maybe what are some of those reads that your players have to make? You know, it's, it's all the above, uh, you know, and in, in, in some rotations, we might trap the ball the next time we might run and jump it. Um, and then sometimes we will do it by spots. Um, and other times we'll do it based on what the ball handler's doing. So um, it, 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 we just really mix in all those schemes. I know the easiest part when I'm starting with a bunch of young kids, uh, a lot of times we'll start teaching just the, the traditional one, two, one, one zone press trap. And then where do you go after the trap? Or if you don't make the trap, how do you get it so that you're not getting beat down the floor for a quick layup? And um, so early on the season, we give up a lot of layups, but then we, we talk about the teachable moments that come with um, good press breaks. Um, do you feel like there's anything you do particularly well in practice or the uh, practice plan that leads you to having success in the press? Um, I know for myself personally as a coach, Joy Preston as well but also always felt like maybe I wasn't given enough time or something in practice. You know, I think, I think one thing we do really well is we're really efficient with our practice time. Um, so I, I really struggle when there's kids standing around. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll do the numbers. So if I have 16 kids at practice, I might have a group of five on five where another coach will be working three on three with the same concepts, because when you have five people, the rotations are a little bit different than the three on three or, uh, we'll do groups of four on four, uh, getting both all the gym going. It's just keeping kids active and then talking about the read. So at the beginning of the year, we do all the predictable um, situational work where you know when, when this pass happens, how most teams handle that, how we're going to cover that. And then uh, when we start just playing basketball per se, that's when it gets challenging because uh, it's, it's a lot faster. Kids have to read things faster and um, of course, when you're teaching the press break, you're also teaching how to break the press. And our smart guards, <laughs> they'll they'll make you look silly. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you feel? Do you? Uh, how much breakdowns do you do? Are you teaching the press mostly in five on five, or do you have a progression where you kind of work up from two on two, three on three, whatever it might be? What does that look yeah, like? It, we do have a progression. We always start one on one. Your sure. traditional zigzag drills, because. Um, you know, we have a turn technique, we have a funnel technique, and we have a contain technique. So we teach those three techniques, and each one corresponds with different things we want to do behind them. Then we'll go into two-on-two, talk about where the jump comes from, or if we're going to trap, how we're going to rotate out of that two-on-two. 
We'll go three on three close, and then we'll also do three on three full court because when when it's close, like a, a twenty one to nine, um, you can have everybody up there. Uh, but when you spread out the floor, your press looks a lot different. So we'll do that those progressions right into four on four, um, into five on five, and uh, you know the most common press breaks that that we see um, through scouting. So like uh, I've got you know my scouting reports from the teams we played the last few years and. Um, you know, I kind of merge those into our practice plans. Like, oh, yeah. this team likes to run a four up. Here's how we're going to try to create problems for them. Or this team runs a, a flywheel on a one, two, two press break. And uh, um, this is what we want to do against that. And then, of course, you have to teach when there's special players on the floor. So yeah. you got a elite D1 caliber guard on the floor. You're going to do it a lot differently than if the team that really struggles to have that good ball handler. Um, so getting up, pressing, maybe throwing out multiple looks, throwing out a bunch of tweaks to teams. How does that then bleed over into your offense? Maybe describe your offensive style and what your goals are on that end of the ball. You know, uh, we spent a lot of time on our transition game and we, and we, we love those chaos or scramble uh, drills where, you know, what you do after a steal or you deflect a pass, uh, where people go. So when we do our transition break, um, it's getting kids to fill into the open areas. Um, and always keep that spacing. Obviously, good offense is good passing and good spacing. Um, so uh, those, creating a turnover, obviously, we're going to look for an initial layup or initial shot. Um, if that doesn't happen, then we work it right into our secondary. And if our secondary is being covered, then we go right into our uh, motion offense. So um, it's, it's, there's three major teaching points there. You're, you know, when you go initial, here's what we're really looking for in initial. Here's what we're looking for in our secondary and then um, tying your offense so that we don't have to go back and set up at half court and dribble into an offense again. We want to keep that thing going. Yep, playing with pace the whole time. Uh, maybe speak to that initial phase first. So turnover or whatever jump starts the initial phase. What are the initial reads you're teaching the ball handler and maybe even teaching the players off the ball as well? I, I think the first thing is if there's someone streaking down the floor uh, uncovered, hit that person, get a layup. Now, if it's a two-on-one situation, uh, we have drills and, every, and I mean, every, it's the same drills everybody runs for two-on-one. Uh, but when it gets to be three-on-one or three-on-two or four-on-three, um, we, we do some different things. You know, we might attack, get the defender to commit and then kick it out for a three. Um, you know, we do some three-man weave trans, transition drills that teach the things that we want there. Uh, but it's all about what that defender in the back is doing. But if there's any, if there's ever anybody open, wide open in transition, the ball's got to get to them. Um, and I think the other big thing that we do is if I steal the ball, I'm not putting it on the floor right away. I'm looking to see where my teammates going. Sure. And, and that's, that's getting your five players on page. Like, Oh, I see a steal or a deflected pass. I'm taking off. And uh, you know, when you, when you get all your kids doing it, every team has two or three kids that do it well, but get all five to do it well. That, that just takes a lot of work. Um, are you, so the turnover occurs or you start your transition, that initial phase. Um, are you trusting everyone to be able to handle the ball? Are you trusting everyone to be able to fill out into whatever the spaces that you want? Or is it uh, more controlled or more dictated than that? You know, uh, that's a really good question. Um, right now with the personnel that we have, we're really a, a guard orientated team. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of fast kids that can handle the ball pretty well. Um, but when we have players that aren't as comfortable bringing the ball up the floor, then we'll designate, you know, you're either going to be the, 
and it's usually a post type player that doesn't handle it. So you'll either be in the front of the press and or in the in front of the transition, um, going to that spot or the trail, uh, the trail spot post spot. And uh, so we, we were very regimented with that particular player. And then the other four players would fill around uh, what that player could do. But um, in our system, I expect everybody to be able to at least dribble, dribble yep. escape, two dribbles or three dribbles. Um, not that they have to handle, you know, your best guard trying to bring the ball off the floor that way. So, so yeah, we, we teach those fundamentals in. Initial transitions, not there. You said you're flowing into your secondary action. Uh, what it, what's your secondary action look like? Maybe what are the reads to jumpstart that? So uh, we do a four out, one in secondary, very, very common to what most teams do. And um, we're looking to get the ball either reversed around the perimeter or find something quick, a quick hitter um, off of that. And, you know, and, and when I scout other teams, ours is very similar to what others yeah. do. Uh, maybe the kids find a mismatch and take them off the dribble, or maybe they find a, a post cutting um, to the basket. And then once we get through the secondary on the reversal, a lot of times that, that'll, it, that'll start up our offense um, to where we might go into a motion like a high-low motion, or um, we might see a, a mismatch somewhere where we might post up uh, a mismatch or um, create a dribble penetration kick out of, out of most of our offenses. That's kind of what happens after the secondary. Um, I hear you saying the word mismatch a lot, and that seems to be a, maybe a key for you for your reads on offense. Um, I guess I, you know, I think that for all of us is a thing. I hear that I feel like a lot more at the highest levels of basketball. Um, how do you maybe communicate that to your team in terms of uh, what a mismatch is and then how they are to go about attacking a mismatch? You know, there's, there's three things that we really talk about. You know, uh, what's tough to guard, you know? Is it size? Is it speed? And I always think the toughest thing is knowledge. Knowledge. So if I know if you're breaking down my offensive player a certain way, they, they can't cover it all. So one-on-one, -on -one, if you and I were playing one-on-one, -on -one, um, you're either going to, you know, jam up, you're going to contain, or you're going to funnel. You'll be fine either way if we're playing one-on-one, -on -one, Coach. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I, I don't know. I, I can't move so quick anymore. But <laughs> um, long story short, we get kids to read – um, how the defender's covering them, and does that does that create a mismatch? You know, and uh, you know sometimes uh, if they see a like a post ceiling on the block, and the post defender gets caught high side, now we have a, a baseline that's open. Are we reading that, or is the the wing defender funneling them that way, or are they pushing them back to the middle? And we're reading those things. So those are the 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 reads that the kids have to make, and we talk about those things um, in our adjustments. So, um, so. Uh, you reverse the ball, you said, and that kind of gets you out, maybe out of your secondary if you want to, and into your more motion offense. Um, talked about high-low. Maybe just describe what your general philosophy is in terms of your motion offense um, in the half court. You know, uh, in our motion offense, of course, um, I love the, the, two, uh, the two game or the two post players or the two people on the yeah. interior, three around the exterior. Um, and, you know, I always, I always say this, you know, if you have four around the perimeter, you're probably going to be a, a strong ball reversal team. You know, and if teams jam those up, that opens up the back cuts and the cutting cutter action, um, you know, against a lot of zones, sometimes you you're better off with a three person look so you can um, attack the interior of the defense a little bit better. And that's where I really like the high low um, yeah. against like a two, three zone or uh, something of that nature. And I think the, the big thing is getting your kids to understand screening angles and to read 
what's actually open the defense. So if you have a really athletic middle in a two, three zone, what's open on one night, the next two, three zone you play, something else might be open just depending on where the athletes are. So we talk about those things, how we want to attack those things. Um, but yeah, we really rely on that good screening action and good ball movement. And uh, when we're doing those things well, we're just a lot more efficient on offense when that happens. In your, uh, what you call motion, is it a pattern you're teaching very often? Or is it, to me, it sounds like it's much more conceptual of, okay, if we do this, they go here, then we're looking for these, you know, things. There's some sort of trigger to the, the player's decision-making. Um, could you speak to that in general, kind of what your philosophy is, and then maybe how you teach that as well? Okay, so in our basic um, what I call a two-game offense. We have two post players. So your point guards bring it up the floor. You kick it to the wing, screen away. Your guard screens away and your post screen away. And we're moving on that. And then you can reverse the ball. And then the screening actions, you just keep screening away. So that's the basic premise. Okay. But then what we're also trying to do is break down your defense with maybe a mismatch, you know, maybe a, a guard post screening action. Because like I said, we're, we're really a guard-orientated team. There's times that we'll just bring – you know, our our point guard might just go out and be the, the second post player for a few possessions just to see how they handle that. And uh, so we're playing off of that. So when we're teaching that, it's just the basic screen away. Um, but then we're going to start adding some wrinkles that, oh, that's kind of hard to guard. And when when we start seeing something that's hard to guard, I note that for them, like, hey, that's a, that's a situation that's favorable for us, tough to guard by the defense. Um, and when you have a lot of team speed, those are some advantages that you have by teaching them a method like that. Um, so motion offense and flow at offense versus set plays. How much are you doing one or the other? Um, and then maybe what situations does that change? You know, uh, I think set plays are very important because uh, you got you to gotta break momentum. You got to have a few in your pocket. Like, you know what, man, some, this team's just really shutting down what we like to do. And we got to get them to think differently. So when, when we talk about attacking a defense, um, we talk about the teeth attack where you're just, you're attacking the ball side. Um, you got to have something for a reversal. So you're shifting the defense um, and you got to attack backside too. So you got to have balance on that so that the whole defense is accountable for the entire possession. Um, and teams that move the ball and account for all of those things um, are the ones that are really tough to score against. So then, then you're setting up your set plays. And so, you know, I have some set plays for threes, for mid-range shots, and of course, you know, your, your lob plays and um, your dribble isos or your pick and roll plays. So you, you've got, every coach has those things in there, but how they guard them on those is may, maybe something that could open it up a possession or two. Um, and, I, and I think that's just really important. And, you know, and sometimes I'll have our, our players on the floor call the set play. They see something or it's going to come from the bench just to try to get momentum back in, yep. back in our favor. Yep. All right. So kind of have an idea, hopefully for the people listening of what your guys' style looks like in the game, getting out and pressing, uh, looking to maybe show potentially multiple looks, depending on the opponent flowing and being fast as you can into offense and then attack and attack and seeing what you can do. How do you practice this, Coach? Maybe describe a general practice plan. I'm probably looking more for that, um, more for that practice at the beginning of the year. So maybe less of a scout type of practice when you're getting into the season, but more of that first two weeks. What's your practice plan look like? You know, I think that you know knowing what you have and what works for your kids is really important. And and you know, uh, 
we start off with some preliminary shooting drills. We don't really stretch much. I, I stretch them out by doing some post moves and some guard pull-up jumpers, just some things to get the get their energy and mind on the basketball because uh, they're coming from class or the stressors of their school or work day coming into to practice. So um, something to get them right into basketball. And um, I always think that's a great time to quick do the footwork drills, um, you know, and then uh, we go from that into our zigzag right into our pressing. Um, and, you know, that that might be the first half hour, 40 minutes early in the year um, per practice, just working on the rotations and getting kids to game speed. And, you know, when your new players come into the program um, are usually most years we have between 14 and 20 kids out for basketball. So we practice them all together. Um, those young kids, they get better faster when they're working against your varsity. So we mix and we mix and match them. So I don't ever very rarely actually do our top five against the bottom five. We, we're mixing and matching so that they can help teach uh, what, what they need to read and what they need to see. And what I notice is after about six to eight days of doing that, the young kids really make a big leap in their skill and knowledge development and game speed. Cause like the playing from eighth grade to high school varsity, um, that's a tremendous jump for kids um, to, to be able to play at that level. And then uh, we'll just keep building that in. Uh, we'll do our fundamental rebounding or uh, the other drills I talk, I talk about turnover reduction drills, um, you know, like your footwork drills, like the jump stop pivots, yeah. uh, you know, how to fake a pass to make a pass, the beating a trap drill. So we're doing those things um, because when our turnover rates are high, um, we got to figure out strategies to, you know, making them run up and down the floor for a turnover doesn't reduce turnovers. There's yeah. a skill that we need to do better. You know, if you're deflecting a bunch of passes, that's on me for not teaching them how to get the hands out of the way. So that's how I look at that. So and then we got our box out rebounding drills, um, something we spend at least 10 to 20 minutes on every day is some form of rebounding drills. And and I I mix I mix up about 15 different drills in that just because rebounding drills, it's tough to keep them um, engaged in that. And then uh, we'll do some chaos drills and we'll, we'll put in our offensive drills our offenses, um, you know, and then we do, we do our shooting drills. Uh, when, when I'm breaking up the pace of practice, we'll mix in some shooting drills to, um, to, to transition from one aspect of the game to the other. And then I always like to end practice with a game activity or a clock situation. You know, uh, this group of five is down seven with four minutes to go. What are you going to do to get back? Or, you know, those types of things. And, uh, um, and, all I know is when we do it that way, two and a half hours feels like 30 minutes. You know, it just, go, it just goes fast. So starting kind of with footwork, and then you say jumping into pressing typically, uh, rebounding, and then you said chaos drill. Please describe to me what uh, the chaos portion of your practice is. So um, like, for example, and I think every coach runs this, um, I've got two or three assistant coaches in practice too. And Anytime someone blows the whistle, they just set the ball down. Someone else has to pick it up and throw it down the floor. So we, we do some of that. Uh, we play five on five on five. Um, so if, our, if we have 16 kids in practice, 15 kids are engaged in that drill. Um, and that's basically you're, you're trying to score against 10 people uh, because you're breaking a press against the five in the front court and then the next five once you break the press. So um, the kids really like that. And then, uh, you know, we'll do some, some fun transition drills where – um, there's, there's a lot of extra players on the floor. And, um, so I just call those our chaos drills and it, it, it they're high paced, fun, 
um, full of energy. Um, so the kids uh, enjoy that. So it's a great way to break up the monotony of a practice. How much are you breaking up on either side of the ball? Um, your drills that are, I'll call them on air drills. You know, it's just kids getting footwork reps in, but there's no defense. Um, uh, there's nothing like that in there versus, Hey, there's at least a defense there. Maybe the defense is controlled. Uh, or this is live We're you know, we're, we're going live and you have to make a reading decision. What does that look like, um, throughout your practice? You know, I, I, that's another great question because, uh, both are so important. We do do a lot of five on zero offensive drills, learning our sets. Uh, we do a lot of three on zero drills, uh, you know, emulating what, where the screen should look like, how we should run off the screen. And then we'll put it into a three on three situation where you're reading how they're defending the screening actions, where we're actually teaching the offense and defensive aspects at the same time. So we may have one player where you might switch a screen and the next player, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fight it, um, dog tail it. Um, to keep a hand in the shooter's face. And so uh, we do a lot of stuff like that. And then the five on zero with our offenses, um, you know, then we'll put, a, put them against a, um, the defense and see if they can set the screen properly or read the mo movements on the floor. Because, uh, um, you know, and the other thing that we really emphasize is game speed. Um, when we're doing five on zero, sometimes players tend to slow down because they sure. think it's you know, and I'm like, no, we don't, we just, you can't play it that way. You can't do it. You can do it slow the first couple while you're learning it, but then you have to learn the timing because as you pick up the game speed, that's usually messes up the timing of, um, of your offense and um, teams that can mess up the timing of your offense. People are out of position at the wrong time and you don't get as many open looks. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then your shooting coach, uh, I saw you guys shoot really well. I thought when I was watching down at state tournament, um, describe again how you work in your shooting into your practice. And I'd ask the same question again. Is a lot of that just on-air shooting where it's just catching shooting, working on whatever it is? Or is there some defense involved or decision-making involved in any of that? You know, uh, first and foremost, we do a lot of without a defender shooting. Yeah. Um, you know, like the footwork. And I, we talk a lot about the footwork, the rhythm of a shot, um, how you attack a pass so you can get the shot off and being ready to shoot. Um, the game is just so much faster than it used to be. Um, you don't have time. Like, you know, you don't see, you, you might have it where you can penetrate and kick out to an open shooter, but there's a lot of nights where they, they're just not going to let you have those types of, of shots. So it's how you shoot, get your feet set, um, coming off the screen. Um, we do a lot of, I call them C cut um, shooting drills where you're turning on that inside foot. So as you're, you're catching the, the pass, you know, is it a left, right? Put it up or is it a right left put it up um, some kids hop um, sometimes I think when kids hop though after, a lot of times it's time to where that they hop after they catch it which is probably a travel so we uh, we work on those things um, individual shooting like your guards you know the, the pull-up jumpers the footwork on the pull-up jumper is so important how do you get that rhythm and so and kids have different styles but I have them really think about which which one feels the most comfortable sure. and um, and so we do a lot of stuff like that, but then we also do the contested shooting drills. And, and I think a, another fun one we like to do is uh, we'll play one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to check the ball to you at the free throw line. I'm the defender and, you know, I'm going to have to take something away and can you read and get a bucket shot off, you know, and again, we're a guard oriented program. We don't have a bunch of six, five kids in our program to where, you know, so you have to figure out how to score in there. So, so we, we do do a lot of that. Absolutely, Coach. Some good stuff. I got really one more question here I want to ask. 
Um, your girls have had a ton of success, not only in basketball, but you know, softball, volleyball, track, and all that. Um, is there anything you could speak to that you think has, other than, um, you know, you have great kids and you have a great community, is there anything you can speak to that you think has led to that success? You know, I think a big thing is our weights and agilities program. Um, you know, we, we do a good job of sharing athletes, uh, but like uh, our, for example, I run weights and agilities in the fall, in the mornings before school starts um, during volleyball season. And then our softball coach does it in the spring and our volleyball coach does the weights and agilities in the summer. And that's really worked. And um, I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to lift 400 times a year to be effective. Um, you know, and, and these same kids, they're also in, you know, they're playing four sports, they're in drill team, um, yeah. which I think drill team workouts are way more challenging than our weights and agility workouts. So if you really watch the drill team do a, uh, a leg kick routine, you start recognizing real fast that that's really valuable for your basketball program or volleyball program. So there, there's things that, and our kids are involved in all those activities. Um, so we do that. I think that's really effective. Um, we've had a great track program. Um, our track coach does a great job of building speed and um, we're really focusing on quickness. And, um, you know, and then I think the other thing is, um, you know, us coaches, we meet, we, we plan out the schedule for the year. So we don't want to put kids in a tough spot. I, we don't get territorial, like you have to be open. So if, uh, you know, if track season is going on, the softball coach might not have the track kids some nights. We don't want to make the kids choose. We want them to have that. And because we work together, kids start recognizing, man, they really truly care about each of us. Um, and they're not just caring about their own program. And uh, I think that mantra really carries strong at Noel Fonda. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Coach, I'll just give you one more chance. If there's anything else you want to share or speak to um, before we wrap it up here today. You know, I really don't. I sure appreciate you inviting me to uh, be a part of this. And uh, um, any coach out there that has questions can always communicate with me uh, via email or um, it's jungersd at newell-fonda.k12. .ie.us. It's a longer and heck one, but um, it's on our school webpage if you ever want to reach out. Um, I've done other podcasts where coaches from, um, you know, outside the Iowa area have communicated with me and we've had some great conversations. And, uh, and anybody that would like to, you know, I've probably talked in terms of vagueness today, but um, if you want more detailed stuff, don't, don't hesitate to ask. Like I said, I'm an open book. Awesome. Well, thank you, coach. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your willingness to share. Um, appreciate it and look forward to watching you here in this upcoming season. You take care and uh, everybody good luck this year. Thank you. Thanks coach. Thank you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and get, make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us today.